Hey, before we get the episode started, I just wanted to let you know that we're running a little listener survey. Whether this is the first time you're listening or you've been tuning in since the very beginning, we want to hear from you. You can just click the link in our show notes. It will take you to a very brief anonymous survey. No emails required. Just want to hear your feedback. It would mean a lot to us. But now on with the show. Hello and welcome to This is the Greatest Song I've Ever Heard in My Entire Life. I'm Scott in Toronto and today we are joined by senior writer at Rolling Stone, Brittany Spanos. Brittany, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So this is a podcast about the music we love and why we love it. And I always like to start by asking people, you know, way back at the beginning that you could remember, is there a specific song or artist or experience that you have that made you like first take notice of music or fall in love with music? Yeah, I think there are kind of like two really pivotal, I guess, like genres that really stick out in my memory of me forming my own taste because I grew up with people who had really intense fandoms. Like my grandpa loved Elvis and my mom mm. who was like a huge Prince and Alanis Morissette fan. And like those are her like top two. And nice. my grandma loved Motown. Yeah, and like my dad was a metalhead. So I had like very <laughs> different... Like, my dad's, like, a huge, like, only owns Metallica shirts. Like, it's, like, everyone in my family was, like, a huge, like, stan of stuff before I even knew what the word stan was. Yeah. And I think, like, my taste started to evolve in a way where I, I remember most being drawn to, like, novelty 60 songs. Like, mm-hmm. kind of, like, Purple People Eater or, like, The Girl at the Laundromat. Like, I loved, like, the Golden Oldies station so much. And I think it was just because it was fun. It was silly. It wasn't even, like necessarily children's music all the time like it was just like comedy and like I you know listening to those songs now like they're still really good to me like they're just like well-structured pop songs they're just like really fun and and they don't take themselves seriously which is what I often look for in music and yeah when it was boy bands it was NSYNC was like the first NSYNC and Backstreet Boys mostly NSYNC though were kind of like the first artists that I really was upset like became like a huge huge fan of so and I was just drawn to the, you know, because they were hot. And like, I, yeah. I was seven and I was, you know, <laughs> right. Um, it was very simple. And yeah, I think I just, I liked kind of the really fun, upbeat songs. And I hated like NSYNC ballads. I wanted to like dance, you know, on the Bye Bye Byes and all that kind of stuff. So, so that yeah. was, that was really pivotal for me. Well, that's really interesting. You know, uh, so many people have stories about like their parents getting them into music. And obviously you were saying like your parents and your your whole extended family all have these like deep connections with particular artists or genres themselves. Were they like trying to get you into that stuff when, um, when you were a kid? To some degree, like it wasn't really that difficult though. Like I think there was you know, obviously a period, especially when I was getting really into kind of like Radio Disney boy band stuff where I was like, Ugh, I like don't want to listen to Alanis Morissette like all she does is scream and then it was like you know by the time I was like 10 I was like oh all she does is scream that's all I want to listen to so um you know it's like it was very easy for me to get into that stuff the music that my grandparents like like Motown girl groups that my grandma literally liked and the Elvis and kind of like you know 50s 60s early rock and roll that my grandpa Love, I was drawn to that very quickly. And I think it's also kind of like, it's, it was easier for me to like what my grandparents liked than what my parents directly liked. Yeah, so totally. by the time I was in middle school, I was ready to listen. I got really into like metal and hard rock and really loved, you know, like me and my dad loved System of a Down. So we both listened to that mm. a lot. And like, like listening to Alanis and Tori Amos and also like my mom grew up on like a lot of 80s pop. So Michael Jackson, Prince. So 
was very easy then for me to like get into it. And I think I had like a, because I was such a music nerd from an early age, I think my sort of rebellion phase did not last long of like being like, oh, my parents <laughs> like that. Gross. I was yeah. like, oh, my parents like that. That's kind of cool. And like, I want to know everything about Nirvana and please tell yeah. me everything. Well, they were listening ever to cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, even when you were embracing the stuff that they were listening to and that they were fans of, were you conscious to, like, keep certain things for yourself that really, like, felt like stuff that you listened to that you could have that same kind of connection with that they have that's sort of separate from them? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm an only child, so I have, like, deep only child syndrome where I'm like, this is mine. And, like, <laughs> like I don't share it was both easy and sometimes like my family tried so hard to be like, okay, like Britney's listening to Lincoln Park. Like, let's keep a Lincoln Park CD in the car. And like, Lincoln Park is my band. Like I, this is what I yeah, listen to yeah. when I'm feeling angsty and I had nothing to be angsty about because I lived a very nice life. And so it was just like a lot of that sometimes, but that also didn't last very long. Like I was excited when my family got into stuff. Nirvana is my favorite band. And like my grandma got really into like Nirvana and stuff because I like Nirvana. And so she... Yeah. You know, her like Facebook profile picture was like the Nirvana smiley face because that was my first Aww. tattoo. So it was like a lot of stuff like that. Like they got really into that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool that your whole family is so passionate about music. Did you go to a lot of concerts with them when you were sort of getting into all yeah, of this stuff? Um, so my first two concerts were NSYNC and they were both my dad and he did not get it, but he brought me to it. And so we had a nice time. And um, and then so I was about seven to nine when I went to those instant concerts. And I didn't go to any more concerts until I was a freshman in high school. And I went to OzFest. <laughs> and so that was the next time I went to a concert was that year that like OzFest was free. And um, so I went to that and saw like Guar and like Ozzy and, you know, it was like very silly. And then I did Lollapalooza a lot because I grew up in Chicago. So Lollapalooza falls mm -hmm. around my birthday every year. And so that was like a big thing where I would, I would get to go to Lollapalooza annually. And that was really nice. But I went to a lot of concerts in high school. A lot of scene kid shows, a lot of like big rock shows. Yeah. I was really, really into rock music. I still am. But like, I was like very much like a, a classic rock nerd. So I, I soaked all that up. And most similar with my dad. My dad was much more of the concert yeah. guy. Was there a point where you started thinking that this is, you know, what you wanted to do with your career? And was there a specific like reason or moment for that? Or was it kind of a gradual thing? I knew I wanted to be a music journalist uh, when I was like in seventh grade. And I would say that it was because you know, I spent my years loving NSYNC, being really obsessed with like learning everything I could about them. And then I didn't lose that quality about anything that I liked. Yeah. Where I was like, I got really into to Green Day. And so I had like books on Green Day. I bought every magazine of Green Day. You know, I need to know every single thing I could about Billy Joe Armstrong and about like the band and where they came from. And I need to listen to every band they listened to. And the same thing with Nirvana. Like, I was like, I need to know everything. Like I had like the Kurt Cobain journals and I had like, you know, every biography about him. And I would just spend hours. Like I, I remember I got Netflix when I was 11 because to, I wanted to watch like a weird deep cut, like Kurt Cobain documentary that I couldn't find. at wow. Blockbuster. Like I was real, like I was yeah. real obsessive. <laughs> I'm a huge nerd. I liked history. And so I knew very early that I loved like music history and all of that. So um, it clicked when I was 12 that that was a job. So that was very yeah. exciting. 
moment. <laughs> I wonder too if you know, uh, like you said, you didn't have siblings. Were you finding like internet spaces to like share this fandom? Were you on message boards? I, I guess at that time in MySpace in the early days, a and- little bit. I was a little wary of social. Like my mom was very protective, and so I think like this was like peak to catch a predator era. So yeah, they were very like I had my MySpace was a secret. Like I like did not tell my mom I had a MySpace for a couple of years, and so. I was very careful on it because I was like, well, my mom doesn't know. And then what if I got murdered? And then that would be really embarrassing. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so embarrassing to get murdered. I know. Yeah. So I was like, oh, can't tell, can't, you know, can't really mess this up. I was on some, like, I was on grunge forums for a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I read a lot of, like, weird blogs and stuff. I didn't participate too much. Like, I would, I was mostly, like, a reader and observer than I was, like, a participant in them. So I wasn't, like, posting actively in it. And that's how I found like a lot of the yeah. weird like Kurt Cobain documentaries and strange articles right. and I was like in weird forums. Like I really I probably also shouldn't have been reading those, but like <laughs> it turned out all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess, you know, fast forwarding to now, obviously you're a professional music journalist. You are consuming a lot of music all the time for your job. Are you able to, you know, keep that balance of still being a fan of things while also having to, you know, do this as as your job? Yeah. I mean, I think like being a fan is um, a secret weapon in a lot of ways. I think it allows you to see an artist in a very specific way and allows you to get a little bit deeper even with interviews like I think there are things that sometimes like didn't if I wasn't like a super fan of some artists like it would take probably forever for me to even know about certain things you know it's like it's like having that ingrained kind of obsessive nature of my brain that I have had for a long time I think I use as like a skill as opposed to something else also it's important in terms of being a fan like it can be a huge hindrance and the idea of sometimes you can have blind spots and not sometimes like all the time you can have blind spots and like I think balancing the fact that like I can really love something and I can also be critical of an artist. I, I think I've always been kind of that way though. You know, mm-hmm. I think I've always sort of held that bit of like, I like this band a lot, but like, I don't know, like I don't agree with this song they did or like, I think like this, you know, it's like whatever. Right. They also do a lot of rock music. So it was like, you know, it was really <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> had to had to suspend some, some beliefs sometimes. But like, you know, it was, it was an interesting balance. I think I'm, I'm, glad that I always kind of had that little bit of like, I'm still being critical of people, even if I love them. Um, I can still enjoy a lot of things without it getting in the way, without feeling like work, which is really nice. Like, even if I Mm -hmm. go to a concert and review it, I'm having a good time. Like, I'm not, you know, in my notebook, like scribbling the entire time. Like, the entire point of going to a concert or reviewing it is being a part of the experience. And like, that's really nice. Um, You know, if I'm doing an interview, I want to go into it excited that I'm talking to this person, excited to dig into it and like excited to learn more about them and about what they make. So I think that is is always going to be a big part of it for me. Very cool. Well, okay, Brittany, it's time. What is the song that makes you scream? This is the greatest song I've ever heard in my entire life. The song I've chosen is Ray of Light by Madonna. Such a great pick. This is our first Madonna appearance on the pod. This comes out in 1998. Yeah. 
Do you remember hearing it for the first time or just your general impression of of when it came out? I don't really remember the very first time I heard it. You know, like thinking about like Confessions on a Dance Floor, like when that came out, like I definitely became very obsessed with Madonna around that time because that was like around, and I guess I was like seventh or eighth grade when that album yeah. came out, like hung up was huge and sorry and all that. So I think I became really obsessed with Madonna around then. And I remember getting so deeply immersed in her discography at that point. So, but a big part of why I chose the song is like, I think of when I think it was, this was very hard to choose a song. <laughs> yeah, I apologize. <laughs> it was like very difficult because I was just like, I have so many different ones that I have said that about in the last 24 hours alone. And so, yeah, you know, exactly. it's like, it's hard. Yeah. But, you know, when I think of songs that I kind of turn to when I need to feel anything, like, this is it. Like, I'm turning on Ray of Light. Like, I can mm-hmm. listen to a song for, like, 48 hours straight, and I would still ask for more. Like, this is a song that's, like... Yeah. Like, it's a balm and a release and all the things, like, at once. Um, and has been. So, and I don't even know when that started, but, like, I feel like I just... I, this just is, like, such, like, a joyful song to me in so many aspects of my life. Well, that's interesting. You know, earlier you were talking about being big into a lot of rock music when you were growing up and and grunge and Nirvana and that kind of stuff. And like, I'm just kind of curious about, you know, your journey with genre and how you sort of ended up where you are now too. Yeah. I mean, I think I've always been really omnivorous. So I think when I got really into harder rock music, it was coming at a time where I was just really generally fascinated by pop culture history and music history. So when you're listening to a ton of 90s rock music, it's hard not to also absorb what's happening in like 90s pop culture generally. I thought everything happening at once was so fascinating. And I think that was just kind of how it went. And I think especially for someone like Madonna, I really loved kind of learning about these like really legendary figures in music. So, you know, she's such a a big part of that. And I, I think like that was the interest, but with like pop music specifically, and considering myself like even like a pop fan, I think it was always there. I definitely had periods where I kind of let the idea of like authenticity as a listener take over. And I spent junior high where I was like, I'm really into like rock music and like this is like, you know, the truest me is like I listen to rock music, which is not untrue. I love listening to rock music. I still listen to a lot. But I think mm-hmm. by the time, like when the Jonas Brothers came out, I was like, well, that's false. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we're back in it. Um, we're back. We're back in the boy bands out. I think that was kind of a breakthrough in being like, all these things can coexist at once. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to get back to the song, something that I did not know until we started preparing for this episode. Very interestingly, it's like a reworking, a rewriting of a previous song by a, a folk duo called Curtis Muldoon from like the early 70s, yeah. their song Seraphin, which she essentially uses the lyrics for, adjusts the lyrics for, and then writes a totally new song with, which is such an interesting and weird thing. Yeah. Well, one, I think it fits this kind of spiritual meditative mm-hmm. quality that she's building in this song. But it's also really interesting compositionally to hear the differences of how they set the text and how she sets the text and like what she chooses to like pull out and say, oh, this is going to be a massive chorus. Like this is a hook, this lyric. Yeah. Where it's not in the original, you know. And I feel like I'm
I feel like Madonna, obviously, the focus on her so much is the kind of the shock factor and the performance and like her as like a figurehead in, in pop music. But like her as a writer is just like so brilliant. Like she's like such a brilliant mind for like how she thinks of music and thinks of like how to place herself in music and at different times, like thinking about the way that she placed herself at the center of this dance movement that's happening in the 90s, kind of this mm-hmm. like late 90s, like shift in how we thought about music and thought about like popular music. And Well, yeah, because you could imagine that, okay, it's 1998, we are at like the peak of this new bubblegum mm-hmm. pop boom with Britney and all the Max Martin, the, you know, the Backstreet Boys in sync, etc. And she could have as like a artist who's in like the second decade of her career said like, okay, I'm going to mm-hmm. do that, right? I'm going to like chase what's popular. But instead she does, I mean, stuff that is popular, but it's sort of, you know, a little left of center and it becomes this massive hit because it's just yeah. so good, you know? Whereas like if she was chasing the trend, it maybe wouldn't Yeah, I mean, worked. just like thinking of everything that's happening around it, it's like new metal is like rising and a little mm-hmm. weird, kitschy, like one hit wonder type of pop music, like Aqua's like Barbie Girl, and also like all these like weird kind of like one off hits. It was just like so funny what was happening, and to make like just like a really euphoric dance song that is still so yeah. Madonna and still like within and against the grain. Like it's just, it's like such a surreal kind of balance for her. Yeah. And the production is so amazing. Everything, you know, the sort of constantly pulsing and oscillating mm-hmm. and panning synth sounds and the sort of arpeggiated bass. And the, I also really love like the, the guitar, like the electric guitar gives it this much more like, not to fall into the trap that we were just talking about, but this kind of like authenticity or this like, it's like such a yeah. real sound. And just everything about it, it feels like it's constantly almost falling apart and almost falling off the rails. But at the same time, this steadiness or this meditative quality, like you were talking about, like you can listen to this for 40 hours yeah. straight, right? It just like has that sort of hypnotic quality, but it also feels so chaotic. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's so, so, so hypnotic. And like, you know, like her voice, like the way that she's saying sing and I feel towards the end and like it just like it's like increasingly more like frazzled and like frenzied and all of that like <laughs> yeah. I love that so like it's just like such such a good move like it just oh I like love that entire ending like it just is really takes you to another world okay so Brittany thank you so much for coming and talking to us about this song and so many other things if people want to find out more about what you're doing and, and read your writing online where should they go they I mean Twitter's falling apart but like you can follow me on Twitter oh yeah. hey Brittany um <laughs> but probably I don't know I post my stuff on Instagram a lot too so at Brittany Spanos is is also a good place to find me. And are you guys still doing the podcast for Rolling Stone? Don't let this flop. We are starting again soon. We like had been on hiatus when my co-host EJ was on maternity leave. And then we've been reworking okay. it a little bit for new debut. So not yet. Another back episodes people can listen to. <laughs> All right. Well, keep an eye out for that, everyone, too. All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, hopefully we'll talk more soon. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to another episode. In fact, the last episode of season one of This Is The Greatest Song I've Ever Heard In My Entire Life. We thank you so much for listening, uh, whether this was your first episode or you've been checking them out for a long time. We really, really appreciate it. It's been a really fun journey. We've talked to so many amazing people about so many amazing songs. We will be back in September. Until then, you can follow us on social media at Great Song Pod. That's G-R number eight song pod on 
TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. We're going to continue to be posting new content there all the time until we come back with new episodes. Huge shout out to Catherine and Izzy who helped me co-produce the show, to Skylar Spence who's been letting us use his song Kratos and Love as our theme music, and to you, the listener. Uh, Like we said up top, we are running a little listener survey. Please click the link in the bio. It's anonymous. It's very brief. We just want to hear from you so that we can make an even better show next season. And that's it. Looking forward to talking to you uh, in a couple months. Thanks so much. Thank you.